So first, let's talk about emotional neuropathy. What is neuropathy? It's I can't feel something. So we're talking about not being able to feel emotions. And this is kind of strange in the aromatherapy field, because like you said, that's a very, it's a very healing field and most people are very tuned into their intuition. However, I am one of those people who had emotional neuropathy. I didn't feel things. If something happened, I shut it off and I kept going. So those are the people that kind of seek me out because I've been there. I know exactly how it feels to shut off part of yourself so much so that you don't even feel when you break a bone, which by the way, if you break a bone and you don't feel it, your body can't heal it. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self-Love Podcast. This week, I have the amazing Melissa Holman on the show. She's a master transformational life coach, author, speaker, and registered aromatherapist. She's also an Air Force Security Forces veteran. She's been married to a decorated combat veteran since 1991, and she currently lives in an amazing part of the world, the tropical island of Guam. She was a stay-at-home mum, homeschooling mum for 19 years before becoming a chiropractic assistant. And in May 2018, she earned her aromatherapy certificate from the American College of Healthcare Services. While working with her clients, she discovered that she loved digging deep to uncover the root cause of an issue and continued learning to obtain her coaching certification in 2020. She has four grown children and five grandchildren and a few fur babies thrown in there too. She served in many capacities in scouting and she has been in homeschooling. Plus, you'll hear her story around her interest with the bagpipe band, where she was a director and teacher of many classes in and out of the home. She's also a quilter. She has been the bass drummer in two different bagpipe bands in South Texas, where she competed in the world championships in Glasgow, Scotland several times. She was also the course director for Wood Badge, an advanced leadership course in 2012. Her lemon balm coaching practice, she uses her aromatherapy skills for men and women who struggle with emotional neuropathy and helps them to achieve their dream lives. She uses holistic personalized approach with each client and focuses on implementing lifestyle changes and transforming misaligned beliefs to help bring mind, body, and spirit alignment back into their lives. I think you're going to really enjoy this beautiful interview with this amazing soul, and I'm sure you will enjoy her insights around oils and humanness and what it means to transform with love and light. And I know you'll even find her approach to how she sees America healing through all of these last few years in particular, but also what it means to her to really help heal not only America, but also our beautiful world. I hope you enjoy the show as much as I enjoy bringing it to you. I'd love to hear your thoughts, comments, and feedback on my Instagram page, Kim Morrison 28 my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. 
Thank you so much for your five-star rating. It means the world. I do see every comment and feedback. It means so much to me to know that you're on this ride. And I also want to give special mention and thanks to the amazing 28 Essentials for sponsoring this show. Take care, enjoy the show, and most of all, be kind. Well, what an incredible, delightful, amazing guest I have on the show for us this week. Beautiful Melissa Holman, welcome to the Self Love Podcast, gorgeous girl. Thank you so much, Kim. I'm, I am honored to be here and uh, speaking to you and by default, your listeners. <laughs> it's a treat, I tell you. There's such a beautiful crowd that listen to this show. So I am truly pumped and excited to share you and your story with them. But I'd love you, if you wouldn't mind, just taking us right back and giving us a, how would you describe who Melissa is and how did she come to being and doing what she does today? Give us your background, sweetheart. Isn't that an interesting question? Um, Women, right? Uh, most women are, we associate ourselves by our relationships. So I'll start there. Um, I am a wife uh, to a combat veteran. Uh, we have four beautiful grown children. All of them are married and living their own beautiful lives in their own part of the world. We have our oldest son and his wife who are missionaries helping people in, within the United States who have suffered tragedies through Reach Global Crisis Response. That's the organization he works for. And they have three children and live in a fifth wheel RV. I have a daughter who is married with two children. She's a stay-at-home mom in Oregon. We have one son who opted to join the military and kind of follow in his father's footsteps oh, and mine because I'm a veteran as well. And then he's married and they have fur babies right now. And then our youngest son is almost 30 and he lives in New York with his bride and their fur cat as well. So we have a lot of fur grandchildren. So that, those are my associations. But my story, boy, it's a long and wide Um I grew up, I was born in Tennessee, but I grew up in upstate New York and I had Southern parents. So I didn't grow up with the typical Northeast mindset. Uh, I grew up with a very Southern mindset. So that's just an, it's a little bit of my background, but I do kind of feel like I'm connected to the people where I was born, that, those mountain people of Eastern Tennessee. Um, I have a brother and I have a sister. I'm the youngest of the three. And when I was very young, uh, between the ages of 11 and 16, I was a ballerina and I did a lot of dancing in New York City. Um, but the interesting thing about being a ballerina um, for me was I didn't have the typical dancer body type. So I got passed over a lot for roles. And that solidified in me this belief that uh, it didn't matter how hard I worked, nothing would ever work. It, I would never be able to achieve. And it's just amazing how our brains work. And I carried that belief with me really all the way up into my 50s. That belief that it didn't matter how hard I worked, it would never be enough. It would never be enough no matter how hard. <laughs> um, 
And the, the terrible thing is, even with that belief being solidified in my teen years, the more I've learned about how the brain works, that belief began much, much, much earlier. Uh, between the zero to five age range is where we we start to believe things about ourselves. And then the experiences that we have throughout life confirm or deny those beliefs. So um, as a young child, I don't have a date, I don't have a time, but I know that as a young child, I already believed that about myself, that it didn't matter how hard I worked, it would never be enough. So carrying that belief with me throughout all these years has led me to um, just being an overachiever, very goal-oriented. I have to have things written down so I can check them off my list so that I can see that I've done them. Because remember, it doesn't matter how hard I work, it is never enough. Um, But I carried that through... Uh, Growing up, I carried that into being in the military. And the military was very frustrating for me because it's one of those places where it really doesn't matter what you do. You have to do what you're told. And even if you do what you're told, according to my belief, it was never enough. So (laughs) I left the military after I married my husband. He already had two children. Those are my older two children, the missionary and our daughter. And even in parenting, like I worked so hard, Kim, I can't tell you how hard I worked to be the best parent I could possibly be. But according to that belief that I held, it still wasn't enough, uh, which caused me to really push my kids hard too, uh, because I wanted them to succeed. I wanted them to have everything that they wanted. Um, and it was okay for them to be enough. Right. But it wasn't ever okay for me to be enough. It's uh, fascin- so we raised our kids. Go yeah. ahead, Kim. Sorry. Sorry, I just wanted to say it's a fascinating concept, this, isn't it? That these beliefs that can start at such a young, young age, we believe them so wholeheartedly that we have this firm, tight grip on what we see as our perception of the world. And then we find or search out for things to prove ourselves right, it seems. So keep going as far as parenting. How then did it affect you moving post-military, that belief? Uh, Well, post-military, I left the military and just ran right into parenting. We decided that I would stay home and raise our kids because I didn't have a skill that was commensurate to the civilian life. I was a military policeman in the military, and that didn't translate over to civilian life for me as a mother. So we decided that I would stay home with our kids and I would raise our kids. And my husband was enlisted. He was not an officer. So anyone who's familiar with military ranking, we did not make very much money. I actually just found our very first tax return a couple of years ago, our very first U.S. tax return as a married couple was $15,000. not five zero, fifteen thousand $15,000 for a family of six. So 
being the high achiever, being goal oriented, I dove into family life. I dove headfirst into raising our kids and making sure that they had the need, their needs met and was able to make it happen. I learned how I didn't know how to cook when we got married. I learned how to cook everything from scratch. I learned how to can. I learned how to sew. I learned how to bake. Um, what else did I learn? I, I just learned all of these skills that would make it possible for me to make every single thing that my family needed to save money because we didn't have a lot of money. Um, so being goal-oriented, being so focused on achieving the things that needed to be achieved for my family to survive, this was actually a good thing. This belief that nothing I, nothing I could ever do would be enough was actually making it possible for me to do all of the things that I needed to do for my family. But I do see, and as a, you know, as a grandmother now, looking back and seeing, and isn't this what we do? We look back and we go, oh, look at what I did to my kids. Oh my gosh, I should have done that better. Oh, I could have done that better. And I look back now and I see the different ways that my beliefs and identities impacted them negatively. But one of the things that I've always felt was very important was the apology and going back to my kids and saying, you may not remember this, but I remember this one time that this happened and I was wrong. And even if they don't remember those moments, because most kids are not going to remember those moments that we can see, look back and see so clearly. Even if they don't remember those moments, that, that apology, that acknowledgement, that connection to their primal brain, that part of their brain that desires that love and safety and belonging. That apology speaks to that part of them, that part of them that might be hidden, that part of them that might be beating themselves up for something that they believe that they learned when they were zero to five that I was probably instrumental in. But being able to go back and look at those situations and apologize and bring it up again to help them become better people. That's kind of where I am now in my life. Um, I'm a life coach. I work with people all over the world. But I said from day number one, when I went back to school to get this certification, if I help no one except for the people that I love, then it was worth every penny. It's so true. And Part of what I've discovered for people that do end up in this work is it is such a profound, deep, uh, incredible amount of work that you do on yourself to get to that point before you even look at helping others. And I think that's why it's so commendable to reach out to coaches and mentors and people that have kind of been there, done that, or have shown the path of least resistance and how they've come out the other side. And clearly that's something that you've done so well. 
I want to just ask you, <laughs> I'm just curious, going back to your kids and apologizing for things that happened between naught and five and possibly them not even remembering it, did you find you got reactions like, what? Um, or was it well received? How did that go down? Like if someone's listening to this thinking, oh, geez, there's a lot I've got to apologize for, but with real love and heart and true authenticity and vulnerability around this, how did your children? Children receive those apologies? Oh, thank you so much for that question, Kim. Um, I do want to say, though, for the listeners, you do not have to go back and apologize for anything. I have done this because of what Kim said. I've done so much work on myself, which is how I can even be here today talking about this belief that I've held for so long. Because working with my own transformational coach, I was able to uncover this and go, oh my word, this has impacted my entire life. So don't feel like you have to do this, but boy, if it's on your heart, you can, you can do this. Um, when I've gone back to my kids, all of them have responded pretty much the same way. Oh, mom, you, you were doing the best you could with the skills that you had. And that is so true. Every single one of us out here on this planet, day to day, we are doing the very best we can with the skills that we have, with the tools that we have. But part of working with a coach, and I'm just speaking from my own experience of working with a coach, part of working with a coach is getting better tools and getting better skills, which has made it possible for me to go back to my kids clearly seeing these issues because of the tools that I now have and saying, I did this. It probably informed your belief, but as an adult now, you have a choice. You can continue on in that belief, or you can transform that belief into something that's actually going to serve you. Yeah. It's a beautiful thing as adults, as we grow and and grow up, even as adults, we continue to grow up and become more aware and become more of the observer, not only of our own behaviors, beliefs, maybe limiting thoughts and actions that have happened over our life. But I dare say there comes a point of acceptance as well, in the same way that your children accepted your apology. I would imagine you've also come to a place to accept your own limitations, strengths, constraints, all of the things that make you up who you are. What other tools did you bring into your world as you navigated the self-awareness and self-education and self-opening, all of those things? Were there other things that came into play for you as well as you were on the self-discovery path? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, that is a really interesting question, Kim. I, well, the biggest thing, um, <laughs> the biggest thing, I went back to school in 2015. So a little while ago, um, as an adult, my kids were almost all grown um, my youngest son was the only one left at home and he, <laughs> he was a senior in high school. We homeschooled, but I, I was very concerned about going back to school because did he still need me? Uh, I was a little bit freaked out, you know, scared that part of you that's scared at something new. 
But I looked at him and I said, I don't know if I can go back to school with you still being at home. And he just looked at me and said, mom, I don't need you to teach me. I just need to know what I need to do. And I was like, oh, okay. So that kind of soothed that fear in me. Um, But I went back to school to become an aromatherapist. I went to the American College of Healthcare Sciences and um, learned, oh, so much, not just about aromatherapy, but about the holistic mindset, the mind, body, spirit, all of that. And when I went back to school again later for coaching, the aromatherapy definitely helped support that transformation. There are so many essential oils that work deeply with the mind and those experiences, those transformational coaching calls where it was hard, the essential oils definitely were a huge support in making those transformations possible. So for the person who's new to aromatherapy or maybe hasn't used essential oils, maybe they've used them from a pragmatic, practical point of view where, you know, you've put a drop of lavender on a pillow to help you sleep, or maybe you've put some roaming chamomile in the bath to help you relax. When you talk about working with the mind, we're going into the realm of psychoaromatherapy or using the psyche to understand and using our sense of smell to help us aromatically anchor or create new ways or new openings or new opportunities with the mind. How would you describe how that works from the mind's point of view? Um, Well, I'm a firm believer that every single plant on this planet is here for our benefit. And each plant, uh, inside of each plant are these aromatics. Each Inside of each, let me rephrase that, inside of each aromatic plant are these, are chemicals, right? And our brain is also made up of chemicals. So there's this beautiful symbiotic relationship between the plants and the human body. And there are plants that interact with different parts of our bodies and our brains that help to open up, reconnect, create new pathways in our brain. I liken, um, so I think about like when I'm talking about the pathways in the brain, I'm thinking about hiking. So we go hiking and we hike a trail that's well-worn. Tons of, tons of people have hiked on this trail before, and we're on this trail. We can clearly see where we're going. We start at point A, we get to point B, and it's easy. That happens in our brains as well. However, if there is a connection in our brain that is not serving us anymore, suppose you were abused um, at the age of 11, And within your brain, you've created this pathway that you travel over and over and over again, that men are scary, men are dangerous, especially older men. Older men are dangerous. There's this path that you're traveling in your brain. Every time I see a man, I think he is dangerous. So there's this well-worn path in your brain. But here you are at a new place in your life, and you've met a man that you really like, And you think you want to create a relationship with him, yet this path is so well-worn that immediately your brain goes, he's dangerous, though he's not. So now we want to create a new pathway. I don't want to believe that this man that I love is dangerous, so I want to create a new pathway. 
essential oils can actually help kind of lead you down a new path. But when I'm talking about hiking, I'm thinking about like, I have to blaze a new trail. This is going to be a lot of work. I might have to have a machete and then chop through the jungles to create a new trail. But I'm in a jungle. So every time I create a new trail, it kind of fills back in with more foliage. But I can use these beautiful essential oils. And I think of Fragonia specifically, these beautiful essential oils that can help us lay down a new pathway to a new thought process so that that old pathway can be bypassed now and get to a new destination of, I have this man in my life. This man is love instead of danger. This man is love. So now I have a new pathway that I can start going down regularly and create a better way, a newer direction that is serving me now. So I kind of feel like essential oils kind of can lead the way towards that new destination. I just love it. I love it so much. You're so speaking my language. Um, We know that not all plants, as you said, are not all aromatic, but every aromatic plant that we know is made up of different chemical constituents and components that give it its identity, its fingerprint, its virtues, its characteristics. When, how do you, I mean, we know aromatherapy has been around for thousands of years, but what's so beautiful in the last hundred or so years is just how much more the science has come into understanding what these chemical constituents actually do. If you were to describe to someone, how does aromatherapy work? What would be your definition of that? How does aromatherapy work? Well, when we breathe in, um, the chemical constituents of these aromatic plants. Inside the nose, there's a little lock and key. Your nose, basically your nose is locked, but when you breathe in an aromatic plant, that's the key. And it reaches in there and unlocks this ability for the chemical constituents to enter into the bloodstream, flow throughout your body. And I'm talking specifically about the brain, flowing through the brain. And then... um, those chemical constituents interact with the different areas within our body that they are designed to interact with. Because like you said, not every aromatic plant, I don't know if you said this, not every aromatic plant is going to do everything. Lavender, we know everybody's pretty familiar with lavender. Lavender is calming. It can help you sleep. But there's other essential oils that are stimulating and can wake you up. There's other essential oils that can ground you. Maybe you're feeling kind of flighty. I have a friend who's very electric. She needs grounding essential oils. So each aromatic plant has a specific purpose and a specific design to work with different areas of our bodies. So some some might be able to open up the lungs. Some might be able to help balance out digestion. It really just depends what you're looking for. But it's that lock and key that I think is really important. And when we're talking about aromatherapy, if you just look at the word, it's therapy from aromas. So we do want to smell them. That's the fastest way for the chemicals to get into your blood is through inhalation. 
it's quite amazing that, and I don't know how correct this is, but I read a while ago that essential oils are one of the few therapies that we can actually help the body to traverse across the blood black blood brain barrier, which is why we can have such an instant response to an aroma as powerful as a pure therapeutic plant oil. Do you know much about what happens as far as those constituents once they hit the bloodstream? Like how does it make someone that's electric, as you say, become more grounded? What physiologically, biochemically actually occurs in order for that person to feel more grounded? I wish I had an answer for that, Kim. I really don't. I just know that it works. I have not dived deep, deep, deep into that. That's the things that keeps coming up in, in my days. I really want to more about to dive deeper into what exactly is happening inside. So it's interesting you asked that question because I don't know, but I want to. Well, we also know that our forefathers and mothers did a lot of work without having to have the science and the literature and the proof that these things worked. The anecdotal evidence, the actual ability to see things happen. Sometimes as humans, it seems we want to know why, how, and every little detail in order for it to be proven as a therapy. Yet one of the things I love about holistic integrative therapies and medicines is sometimes we don't need to know that, but just to trust our innate intelligence and our affinity with plants, that without plants on this planet, we would not be here. And so our dependence on plants is actually quite profound. And what I really give thanks to our forefathers and mothers is they tested, tried and tested many times, and I'm sure instantly found out when something was poisonous or didn't work. And so a lot of the work that we've come across, particularly for me as well in the aromatherapy world, is anecdotal. And whilst more money has been spent on the science of essential oils, it's so nice to just trust how much it can help us without questioning that, isn't it? It is. It really, truly is. And I think about this friend of mine, um, what I created a blend for her and we ended, it ended up being called flux, F L U X flux. And when I told her that, um, she was a little bit taken aback because she pictured like a plastic bag being tossed about in the wind as being in flux. But I had to tell her and I said, no, flux just means you're a conduit. You're a conduit for this energy and you have a choice in how this energy is given you know, she doesn't have a choice in how it's received, but she has a choice in how it is given. And then the essential oils that were used in that blend were mostly grounding essential oils. And she has told me, I created that blend for her probably five years ago. And she still asks me for it today. She still asks me to recreate it and send it to her again and again. It's a beautiful thing. How old were you or your children when you first got into it? And did they become your beautiful guinea pigs for a lot of this? <laughs> Uh, actually, I learned about aromatherapy back in the early 90s. My mom became an aromatherapist through a uh, correspondence course. She was a massage therapist, a hairstylist, and then she became an aromatherapist back in the early 90s. But um, when I was raising my kids back in the early 90s, it was I was in what I call my mom bubble 
Like I didn't have energy for anything else. And if you remember earlier, I was sharing, like I was cooking and cleaning and preserving and growing, had a garden and sewing and doing all of these things. I did not have the energy to hear what my mom was doing. And I don't regret not hearing her. I don't look back with regret. But um, when I went back to school for aromatherapy, uh, it was at the height of like the MLMs were just really becoming major where I lived. And I had friends like shoving essential oils at me and going, try this, try this, try this, try this. And I remembered my mom had to go to school to learn how to use these correctly. And it didn't feel right. It didn't feel like you should just be able to just throw an essential oil at someone and say, here, this will help with anxiety or whatever it is that you're going through. And so um, I did go back to school. But by the time I was in school, all of my kids had launched. We were empty nesters. So actually, my husband and my friends became my guinea pigs. (laughs) And my husband still to this day, he calls me his witch doctor. Yeah. Well, I don't think it's a bad thing to be thought of as a witch doctor. And in fact, I call I us modern day alchemists, you know. I when, agree. Yeah. Yes. And when you're, what I, what I love, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, but what is so beautiful about aromatherapy, and even if you have a basic knowledge of it, there is nothing more pure, more lovingly intent Uh, when you're creating a blend for someone you care about and with them in mind, choosing certain oils to suit their persona, their needs, their emotions, like it, it is a pretty special place to be, isn't it? Absolutely. And I said the same thing when I went back to school for aromatherapy, if I never help anyone, but the people that I love, then it was worth every penny. Um, because I, I can only influence the people that are in my sphere of influence. If you're not in that, then I can't help you. Um, so if the only people I ever help are the people that I love, it's, it's totally worth it. And then the love that goes into every blend, right? The love that goes into every session, the love that goes into every bit of it, I think, I think is received and felt. I agree. I have music playing to my beautiful oils 24-7, this beautiful rain melody music out of India. And, Mm. you know, some would say it's woohoo and a little bit out there, but then I also have people saying, wow, your oils are amazing. And so I think there's just this little special thing. And even if it just means something to you, that's all that matters. Like you say, it comes down to the people you care about the most and also what you care about the most. Have you had any examples or experiences of where the oils, apart from your beautiful friend with the electricity, do you have any stories or examples of where the oils have had such profound impact? The biggest, the biggest story is my dad. Um, he has been diabetic since he was uh, 12 years old and he's almost 80 now. And he has had, (laughs) had very, very advanced pruritus, which is the flaky dry skin. His was so bad that he was vacuuming two to three times a day to keep his house livable from the amount of skin that was sloughing off of his body. And being diabetic, if anyone who's familiar with diabetes, I mean, you just lose the blood flow to those extremities because your body is working so hard to make sure that the parts that need to function are functioning. So that's why people lose limbs and um, have this pruritus. So he had 
flaking skin on his arms and his lower legs. So his lower arms and his lower legs, so bad. It was so bad. And he asked, he's like, do you think you could make something to help? I was like, I know I can make something to help dad. So I created um, a really soft cream, an emulsion that he could put onto his legs, but I included essential oils that were healing and anti-itch, antifungal, and antimicrobial. So he started using this cream that I made for him. And literally two days later, he called me up and he goes, now, I know your mom was an aromatherapist, but she didn't practice aromatherapy the way that you did. She made mostly like good smelling things and candles and potpourri and stuff like that. He goes, but you know what? You're actually helping people heal because it's been two days and my skin looks brand new. That's my favorite story. And I helped, I helped my dad feel better about not just feel better, but feel better about himself. He was embarrassed to go out in public. He was embarrassed to go over to other people's houses because he knew he would leave a trail of himself behind, you know? So that one just, yeah, that's my favorite. Ah, look, I'm just, I just want to acknowledge you because, you know, coming from such, and, and I say this with love, I hope I don't offend, but from going in the, you know, being in the air force, security forces in a very yang orientated you know, energy that's, you know, very disciplined and very, um, Mm -hmm. I guess, left brain in many ways to then balance that with the feminine energy of healing and, and caring and nurturing and plants and therapy and the softness of that. How has that worked for you in your life? And do you believe it's been something that's really had profound impact as well for you? Yes. It doesn't seem right. Does it? It doesn't seem like it's, it aligns. It really doesn't. Um, and I do have more of a masculine energy about myself and I'm aware of that. Um, and I never, this is the funny part, right? I didn't grow up with the typical girl dreams of the white dress and the big wedding and having kids someday. I never thought I would be where I am today. Honestly, this was not my plan at all. But looking back, I can't imagine it any other way. And even in raising my kids, you know, it was, um, it was very disciplined. You know, we homeschooled and it was disciplined. You know, the home was disciplined. But honestly, it had to be. We couldn't have um, a home that was um, disordered being military. We moved every three years. We had to be ordered. I homeschooled. That needed to be ordered. Um, but switching and making this shift later in life, I'm still bringing with me all of that order into what I'm doing now, yet connecting with my intuition and being able to show up for people. And I feel it's a very unique way because I'm not that empathetic person. I'm not sitting over here going, oh, I'm so sorry that happened to you. I sit over here and I say, well, let's, how can we fix that? What what can we do next? Let's go to the next, let's, let's figure out what's next for you. Even in that intuitional space of, of holding a container for the people that I'm working with and make, like making it possible for them to be who they are. Oh, such a beautiful place because it's not about changing someone or making them into something different. It's about honoring where they're at and supporting them to come through their struggles 
in the intro, we talked about you helping people with emotional neuropathy. How can you tell us how you do that and how do the oils play a part in that? Right. So first, let's talk about emotional neuropathy. What is neuropathy? It's I can't feel something. So we're talking about not being able to feel emotions. And this is kind of strange in the aromatherapy field, because like you said, that's a very, it's a very healing field and most people are very tuned into their intuition. However, I am one of those people who had emotional neuropathy. I didn't feel things. If something happened, I shut it off and I kept going. So those are the people that kind of seek me out because I've been there. I know exactly how it feels to shut off part of yourself so much so that you don't even feel when you break a bone, which by the way, if you break a bone and you don't feel it, your body can't heal it. So having emotional neuropathy, people actually saw it as a strength in me because I would have friends who come to me with difficult situations and appreciated the fact that I didn't get emotionally involved in their problems, but was able to look at it um, and just say, what I thought instead of being emotionally involved. So how I help people with emotional neuropathy and using essential oils, when I work with a client, they always get an inhaler from me, uh, at least one. And that first one uh, includes essential oils that can help bring us into homeostasis, help us relax, help our monkey mind to calm down so that we can actually start moving forward. Because if we don't know where we are, we can't move forward. And part of that emotional neuropathy is not even having a clue where you currently are because there's no emotion involved in your life anymore. Um, So using the inhaler, we use it in our sessions to help bring in, usher in that state of relaxation. Because if you are stressed, even in the slightest bit, You cannot learn, you cannot shift, you cannot transform. So the very first step is ushering in that homeostasis, that state of relaxation, so that the part of their brain that doesn't have them stuck in survival mode can come online, and then we can start moving forward. It's pretty powerful, and what's so beautiful is it's so unique to the individual it's mm-hmm. what's so precious about essential oils. There, there's not just one drug or one thing that you can use. There's a plethora of essential oils yes. out there. And I guess depending on your loves and your favorites will depend on which ones you use for your clients. But I love the fact that you bring the power of smell and psychoaromatherapy and homeostasis using oils into your treating What has been so fascinating when I first heard of you is that you live in a remarkable part of the world in a tropical island called Guam. Can you tell us why you're there, what it's like, and how you do the work that you're doing, especially using smell, you know, over a computer, so to speak? Right. So we actually moved here because of my husband's job. He's also retired Air Force, but when he retired, he stepped into a gover- another government position. And in 20, summer of 2019, he came home and said to me, he goes, what would you think about moving to Guam? And <laughs> as, a, as a kid, we moved a lot. My, jo- my dad's jobs 
shifted quite a bit and we moved frequently when I was a kid. When my husband was active duty Air Force, we moved like clockwork every three years. So I got used to that cycle of moving. And when he retired back in 2001, we didn't move. We were in that same house for 18 years. That was really hard transition for me to not move. Um, but when he came to me in the summer of 2019 and said, ah, what do you think about moving to Guam? I was all on board. We literally in, um, we found out for sure that we were going to be moving in November of 2019. And we moved here in March of 2019. So in that four, short three, four month period, we sold our home, we cleaned things out <laughs> and we moved our animals over here. And we moved to Guam four days before the Rona shut the world down. So that's why we're here. Um, but my husband has said on more than one occasion that he doesn't think that we're here for him, for his benefit. He believes that we are here for me to build this business that's going to be possible to take us back to the United States and for him to retire. So that's really exciting that he can see that, that he can see that what I'm doing right now is building for that future. Um, but how do I practice aromatherapy here on Guam? It's very interesting. The people here of Guam, they are called uh, Chamorro people, Chamorro. And the Chamorro people still have natural healers here. So there are some natural healers still on the island and some of the more depressed still use those natural healers more than traditional medicine. But we do have traditional medicine here as well. Um, when I say traditional, I mean the regular allopathic, go to the doctor, get a pill type thing. Um, but what I do with aromatherapy typically is my clients are back in the States mostly. So I do practice aromatherapy virtually. I use perfume sample bottles to send samples to my clients. And then from there, you know, we can build a blend if they're looking for a specific targeted blend. Or like I said, when I work with my coaching clients, I have specific inhaler blends that I send to them. And um, it's all through the, it's all through the postal service. Everything I do is through the postal service. So it is an interesting process, but I do have some clients here on island that I'm working with. I'm working with an organization right now. They're trying to, she wants to create her own blend of products. So basically I'll be creating white label products for her to sell under her brand. It's beautiful and it's so powerful. And again, again, reiterating, thanks to Corona, that we can do anything um, when we, we can, can post things out. And I guess you would trust a lot to your intuition when you hear your clients and the words and the languaging they use as to which oils you may create a blend. And that is the power of an aromatherapist who really listens, and particularly someone like yourself, who has such training in the brain and the way that we uh, create these beliefs or these internal, um, this persona of who we think we are. And I think what I love most about hearing this is that you have developed your own sense of intuitive medicine or intuitive healing for your clients and using the brain as a part of that. Wow, what a combination physiologically, biochemically, and urologically, when you can bring them all together in one amazing process. Wow. Is that how you feel? I hadn't thought of it that way. That sounds really awesome. I want to be that girl. <laughs> well, it's <laughs> certainly how it sounds to me. And I love the power that we can bring these 
beautiful medicinal herbs and the power of an essential oil to life for each person. And just when we think those thoughts and then can inhale something to aromatically anchor us to a more positive outcome, I don't think we can really express just how transformational this can be for people. And I urge anyone listening to this, if you have the ability to speak to someone like Melissa or someone who does have that same passion in essential oils, to get them into your life. And even if you don't know exactly what you're doing with essential oils, there's many books written for the everyday user and many beautiful resources you can use. But when you've got someone like Melissa who also understands all the neurological biochemical processes that occur with oils, then you are on to a winning formula. I want to ask you then, there was a little thing we mentioned in the intro about your musical interests. Can you tell us a little bit? Because I believe that not only is smell one of the most powerful, profound healers on the planet, but so is sound and music. Tell us how that is a part of your world. Are you, are you talking about my bagpiping? Yes. <laughs> yes. I love this. I love the bagpipe. I get goosebumps every time I hear the bagpipe. So I want to know. <laughs> so I was, I was the bass drummer for Silver Thistle Pipes and Drums in Austin, Texas for many years. We competed um, internationally. We competed at the World Championships in Glasgow, Scotland multiple times. And as the bass drummer, what an interesting perspective. I, well, I love the rhythm and most people, most of the other bagpipers who ever heard me play, they called me, um, they called me the human metronome. I have a serious like clock inside my body able to maintain that rhythm, which is so needed in an, in a band of people, right? We're not just talking about one person playing drums, but you've got the bass drummer, the tenor drummers, the snare drummers, the bagpipers, all playing together in unison, trying to create that unison sound. So having a bass drummer who has that natural internal clock, that natural internal rhythm was really, really, really important. But when I think about being in the band, the bass drummer in a bagpipe band stands in the very center of the performance circle. I had bagpipes blaring directly at me. I had drummers playing right behind me. So I got bombarded with the full sound, but in the best sense of the word bombarded. It wasn't a bad thing. It was a beautiful thing because I had all of these decibels coming at me and this rhythm and this unison just creating an amazing bubble of energy. And I did a little bit of research and I don't remember it all specifically, but bagpipes, the decibel that a bagpipe plays at is like one of the happiest decibels on the, on the scale. So I know people, it's, it's one of those love hate relationships. You either love them or you hate them. But when we're talking about energy that is created, the bagpipe actually creates a bubble of energy that is the happiest part of the scale of decibels. So being in the center always brought me so much happiness. And most of the time when I was done playing, pardon how this might sound, but it was almost like a climax happened. The moment that everything shut off at the exact same time, I would be out of breath. I would be shaking. And it was just the most amazing experience. 
find the bagpipes very um oh that they, they, they touch a part of you that I don't even know if I can describe it, but there's mm-hmm. it gets to the core. It gets to your very essence, which is exactly what essential oils do, ironically. Yes. And even though you can feel, I know you're saying that it's got a decibel and the highest of happiness on the scale, but I feel like it touches the rawest part of you as well, which can evoke emotions that maybe we didn't realize were there. What a, what a powerful instrument to evoke what you were talking about with the emotional neuropathy, like are they, right. I don't know, I'm just thinking, is there a connection there in your opinion? I think there has to be a connection there. And it does, it does touch that most raw part of you. Because if you think about it, when you are in that place of pure joy and pure happiness, you are actually in a space where you can invite in that emotion. You can invite in the things that you wouldn't be able to when you are stressed, depressed, or anxious. When you're in that, I'm looking at the picture of you on our Zoom screen right now and your beautiful smile. That smile doesn't come from a place of anxiety and depression. That smile comes from a place of joy. And those bagpipes touch that exact same spot within us. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I'm really, yeah, I think I'll listen to them differently um, from this moment on, just understanding the vibrational healing energy of music and of oils and plants and all of these things. They really do. I can see now how your life has created this whole um, orchestra, if you like, of beautiful different oh. modalities and bringing it all together. I, I do believe when you're talking about that place of pure joy and happiness and that raw emotion of who we truly are and designed to be happy, joyful humans, what would be your definition of self-love then be knowing that this is the self-love podcast? I thought a lot about this question and I've I am I liken self-love to romance, right? So when we think about romance, and this is something that I told my kids, I taught my kids this, I thought I thought it was so important for them to understand and realize that romance is different for everyone. Some women feel romance with lo- with uh, flowers and chocolate. Some women feel romance with uh, a new firearm in their hands that they can go to the gun range with. Some women feel romanced when the man that loves them gives them something that reminds them of who they were before they ever met, that they know them so deeply that they understand that. And I feel that self-love is the same way. We have to know ourselves to be able to love ourselves. So for me, Self-love is showing up for the people that I love, but doing it from not a place of obligation and not a place of um, frustration, but from this place of service to them by serving myself first. When I meet with my clients, I take time for myself first because I can't show up for them if I'm not showing up for myself. How beautiful and what a reminder for all of us. We cannot be the best version of ourselves without being there for ourselves first and foremost. I really, really heard those words very loud and very proud. And I thank you for sharing that. 
if there was a final message to our beautiful self-love podcast listener based on your life, your experiences, your highs and lows, the challenges and all the growth that you have done, if there was one person listening to you right now that was just really resonating with your message, what would you have to say to him or her? Curiosity over condemnation every single day. And what I mean by that is when something comes up in you and you're like, ah, that again, instead of, ah, that again, what if we shifted that? What if we traded that in for curiosity? Like, hmm, I wonder why that showed up again right now. So curiosity over condemnation, and that extends to the people around us as well. When you see a behavior in someone else, or they do something or say something, instead of immediately jumping to that condemnation, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe he did that. Being curious, and even if you're not asking it out loud, but being curious in your own mind to make this shift, making this shift from condemning people for their decisions and who they are, to being curious about, I wonder what it was that triggered him to behave in that way. Even if you never say it out loud, becoming curious within your own self creates connection. Condemnation just severs connection, but curiosity creates it. So true. And if you were appealing to someone so deeply, how could people connect with you, Melissa? How can they reach out and follow you and the work that you're doing at Lemon Balm Coaching? Sure. I spend most of my social media time on Instagram. So at Instagram, it's just Lemon Balm Coaching. I do have a website that's also just lemonbalmcoaching.com. Those are probably the two easiest ways to get in touch with me. I do have a Facebook page, but I don't keep it updated because I don't like Facebook. It's just kind of there as a place marker for me. But Instagram is where I really show up for my clients, for my followers, and for the people who like what I have to say. Well, I do say that everyone on here will be very interested in what you have to say. But if there was a final beautiful quote, what's something that's inspiring you at the moment that you would love to share with our gorgeous listener? You know, I thought about that one as well. And it, I don't really have a quote from a person, um, but it is something that I think will resonate with your listeners is to love others well. We must first love ourselves. Oh, say it again, to love others well, we must first mm. love ourselves. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and for some of us, we struggle with that self-love. We struggle mm-hmm. with it. So well, that's all of the love of the that you in- Yeah, well, that's part of the inquiry and the curiosity of wondering why that's the case. We are born as a bundle of love. We are born to be love and to express love. So where it gets lost. What is it, right? What is it that shifted in me that made it not possible for me to love myself? Mm. Mm, I love it. I love it. So, uh, sweetheart, I just would love to just finish up here with you by just thanking you from the bottom of my heart for reaching out and for also being on the Self Love Podcast, but also for sharing your stories. And I would love to ask you just one final question. 
being an American and seeing the state of the world right now and watching, I guess, the rise and fall of someone like Donald Trump perhaps or seeing what's happening with guns in America or noticing how corona has affected us on a global scale and being in the military, is there anything that you've noticed for your own self about your homeland or is there anything you'd love to share so that the rest of us could have some sort of insight into what is the, 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 the future for America? Do you have any thoughts around that? Well, I have to say, fortunately, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what the future holds, and I'm thankful for that. But uh, my husband and I actually talk about this quite often. And I think America's really good at putting on Band-Aids, really good at putting on Band-Aids. But as an aromatherapist, um, we know that helichrysum, uh, also known as immortelle, and calendula also are beautiful healing essential oils, healing plants. But there's a problem with them. If I apply calendula to a wound that is infected, the skin will heal over that wound, sealing in the infection. And I feel like America is really good at putting on Band-Aids, but not very good at healing. And I think if, unless we can get to healing the problems instead of just putting on a Band-Aid, nothing will ever change. It must be pretty hard to say because it's one of the most parochial countries in the world and most Americans are so, so proud to be American. And my hand on heart to yours and every other American out there, I too also hope that the Band-Aids get ripped off and we actually go within, find the core, the essence, the meaning of what it is to be here and come together again as a nation that is really, for so many decades, has been a trailblazing leader in many ways. So with my hand on heart, I say to you, I hope America heals. I hope the whole planet can heal. And if nothing else, maybe this corona thing that we've all just experienced for the last couple of years has given us an all, all an opportunity to look within, to see what needs the most love, care, and attention and then with love in our hearts, let's all do this together, hey? Yes, thank you so much, Kim. It's been an absolute privilege to have you on the show, sweetheart. Thank you for being one of my beautiful guests, and thank you for sharing yourself so openly. With love to you and your husband there in that tropical oasis of Guam, I send love to you. Thank you for the work that you're doing in the aromatherapy world, and thank you for sharing your light. Thank you, Kim, for having me on. And I did forget to mention that I also do have uh, the Aromatic Chat podcast. Um, so this, this is specifically about aromatherapy. I introduce people to uh, aromatherapists around the world. So it's a chat very similar to what we had here today. I love, your, I love this format of interviewing people and just getting to know the heart and the stories behind who they are. So thank you again, Kim, for inviting me on. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. 
This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.